If you're visiting with your presence, we love to have visitors and we're so grateful that you are here today. We hope that our worship today and the time that you're here will will make you want to come back again. We'd love to have you at every opportunity that you might have to come and be with us. We're so grateful for this day. We appreciate the opportunity to be together, to worship God in spirit and in truth. We've got a number of visitors with us, and as always, as always, we want you to feel welcome. And I want you to know that we've got a lot of food prepared today, so if you want to stay and eat, we'd love to have you as our guest. Plenty of food, and I know you'll want to stay and be a part of that period of fellowship. I do want to make mention of the fact that tonight we have a special service going to be led by our young men. Desmond is going to be speaking on seeking the kingdom first. And Ben's going to be talking about God is love. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to hear these guys before, but I know that they're going to do a great job. Jared and Ben and Desmond have spent quite a bit of time together this week putting into place these lessons and making preparation. And I know that you'll want to be here. Appreciate very much Jared and Anna and all the great work that they do with our young folks. We've got a lot of great young men and we have a lot of great young ladies. And we appreciate each and every one of our young people. We've got just a tremendous number of young people that make up the church here. And what a great example they set, to all, set before all of us. And so if you're a family and you've got young people and you're looking for a church home, let me tell you what, you can't find a better group than the group we have. And I really mean that. Tonight we're going to be looking at this great service and we want to encourage everyone to come back and be with us at 6 o'clock. In our study this morning, we're going to be talking about John chapter 8. And the focus of our lesson today why we need Jesus. Many of us, we understand we need Jesus and we want Jesus to be a part of our life. There are a lot of people that don't know anything about Jesus. And sadly, they have no idea that they need him in their lives. What I want to say to all of us today is we need him. We need Jesus in our lives, 24-7. And so today we're going to look at John chapter 8. And we want to look at a very interesting situation posed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we examine this story that has been recorded by John the Apostle, I think that it helps to illustrate and to emphasize how much all of us need Jesus, the Lamb of God. I want to begin by, first of all, talking about the case of the sinful woman. Note, if you would, what is said, beginning in verse 1. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, but early in the morning he came again into the temple, And all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees, now the scribes were those who taught the law. They were knowledgeable about the law of God. 
The Pharisees were a sect of Jews. Josephus says that they numbered about 6,000 in that day. And they were antagonistic to the teaching of Jesus. And so John said they brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. I want to begin by, first of all, talking about her sinful deed. Now John said that she was caught in adultery. And we understand that the law of God, the Ten Commandments, spoke concisely, succinctly about the danger of adultery. Many of us make bad decisions in life and really sin is the result of making poor decisions, bad decisions in life. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God in Romans 3, verse 23. Paul would say there's none righteous, no, not one. John tells us that sin is the transgression of the law. Sometimes we tend to categorize sin. I would freely grant that there are certain actions, certain sins that we could commit that are more grievous than others. Some carry a greater weight or consequence to them. But this woman made a very poor decision. And so I think about her sinful deed, but then her shameful dilemma. John said that the scribes and the Pharisees, when they brought her to Jesus, they said that this woman had been caught in the very act. Of adultery. Now, sometimes individuals will sometimes get caught up in a lifestyle or they will do or say something. And it might be the case that there is a fair amount of circumstantial evidence. For example, somebody might steal or embezzle money, and there's a paper trail. And so the authorities will begin to analyze that paperwork and they'll say, you know what, we've got a body of evidence here. And we think that we can make a case that this individual is guilty of this crime. Well, they didn't just have circumstantial evidence here. This lady was caught red-handed, as we would say. It would have been very shameful. Let's just be honest. When I think about the consequences of sin and the weight of sin, I'm reminded of the fact that sometimes it can be publicly humiliating. I mean, you think about this lady. I don't know anything about her. I don't know anything about her past or present situation. All I know is that she was caught in adultery. It would have been a shameful and embarrassing time for her. In Luke chapter 15, we read about a young man that had asked his father for his inheritance. And the father complied with his wishes. 
And the text tells us that not many days after, he, he gathered all together and took a journey into a far country, and there he wasted his substance with riotous living. And then a severe famine occurred in the land. And Jesus, in his narration of that parable, said, this man began to be in want. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the things that the swine, the pigs, were eating. And Jesus said, no man gave unto him. Nothing would have been more humiliating than for a Jew to be in the presence of an unclean animal, to be feeding from their husk. But that was the case. There are things that you can do in this life that will humiliate you publicly. But then not only can sin publicly humiliate us, but it can bring private hurt. The young man that I mentioned a moment ago in Luke 15, the prodigal son, Jesus said in verse 17, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare and I perish here with hunger? Now you think about it. This guy's out in a foreign land. He spent everything he has. He's destitute. He's feeding among the swine. Nobody's given anything to him. That light goes off. He begins to think about home. Sometimes sin can gnaw away at the conscience. We call it guilt. And it can weigh heavily upon the mind. So here's a woman that has been publicly humiliated. No doubt there's a certain amount of private hurt accompanying this situation. And then note if you would, there is the sentence of doom. Listen now to what is recorded in verse 4. After having set this woman in the midst of Jesus, they said, Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. Now let me just pause there for a minute. If you go back and you look at the law of Moses in Leviticus chapter 20 at verse 10, Moses had said that the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Now, there's a lot more that could be said about this and I want to bring it up in a minute. But I want you to understand that this woman had violated the law of God and as a result of the law, she and her partner should have been put to death. Is it not the case that sin always brings death? Go back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve transgressed the law of God. God had said, the day you eat thereof, you will surely die. Death came upon the human family, physically but also spiritually. Here's what Paul said, the wages of sin is death. That is separation from God. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12 talked about 
Those who are outside a covenant relationship with God, he said they're without hope and without God in this world. And so this woman was facing a very rugged sentence. Now I want you to think in the second place, we talk about the case of the sinful woman, but consider if you would the criticism against this sinful woman. First, I want you to think with me for a moment or two about the basis of their criticism. That is, the scribes and the Pharisees. Back up and note, if you would, again in verse 3. John said the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. When they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. Now here's the punchline. But what do you say? They had no interest at all in what the law said. They weren't interested in the law. What they were interested in was entrapping Jesus. They were setting him up to try to catch him, to ensnare him. I think about in Matthew chapter 19, a similar account. The Pharisees came to Jesus on one occasion and they asked a question. Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? They came as Matthew said, testing him, tempting him. And so Jesus said, Have you not read, He that made them in the beginning made them male and female? For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. What therefore God is joined together, let not man put asunder. Well, they then raise another question. Why then did Moses command to give a bill, a writing of divorce, and put her away? Jesus said, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered, permitted, allowed you to put away your mate, but from the beginning it was not so. Again, in Matthew 19, what were they trying to do? Tempt, test, ensnare the Lord. They weren't so much, so much interested in truth as they were in somehow undermining the Lord. And really there were two schools of thought in that day and time. The one school of thought, a more liberal school of thought, was that a man could put away his wife for any and every cause, however trivial it might have been. The other school of thought, however, was based on Deuteronomy chapter 24. And the idea there was that if a man found some uncleanness or unseemly thing in his mate, that is some type of sexual impropriety, he could put her away. But they weren't really interested in that. They just wanted to trap the Lord. So a very similar case here. So we talk about the basis of their criticism and then the brutality of their criticism. Look again at verse 5. Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? Here's what I want you to see. They didn't care anything about the law of Moses, really and truly. And they didn't care anything about this woman. She was just a pawn. They didn't care about her. 
If they really cared about the law of God, then where was the man? Because Moses had already said that both the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. You see, they weren't concerned about truth, nor did they care about this woman. I think there's a lesson there for us. The lesson is that the devil and his people could care less about us. You ever thought about that? Do you really think that the devil cares about any of us? Go back to the Garden of Eden and you look at God placing Adam and Eve in a utopian environment. They're in this beautiful place, a beautiful land with all of their needs met and all of a sudden the tempter, the serpent comes on the scene. And he begins to interrogate Mother Eve, asking her about that forbidden tree. The Bible tells us that as a result of the work of the devil in the Garden of Eden, Adam and his wife transgressed the law of God, and as a result of that, we are bearing the fruit of their sin to this day. That is the consequences. What are the consequences? Suffering and shame and guilt and there has been a proliferation of suffering and then add to that death. Yes, there was physical death but also spiritual death. Here's what Peter said, be sober, be vigilant. Your adversary the devil walks about as a roaring lion. He is an adversary, not your ally, he's an adversary. He wants to destroy you. And really, that's his intent. He detests you, and he wants to destroy you. You know, there are people in our world, there are people in, in our nation that for whatever reason, they hate certain groups, they hate certain races, they hate certain people. And that's tragic. Because you see, the Bible tells us that we're to love one another. But you need to understand, the devil hates you with a perfect hatred. He hates everything about you. He hates you as much as he hates God. And because he hates you, he wants to destroy you. And if he can destroy you, then he wins. How's he gonna destroy you? Get you caught up in a life of sin? Get you so wrapped up in a life of sin and in a life that is all about you that you forget about your creator, you forget about your maker, you forget about what's important in life. And let me tell you what, there are a lot of folks in our world today, they have bought into that bill of goods. They think it's all about them and how sadly mistaken they are. That's why Peter said regarding the devil, whom we stand steadfast in the faith, you better resist him. You better say no. Now, there is a third thing I want you to see, and this has to do with the compassion for this sinful woman. Pick up with me, if you would, in verse 6. In verse 6, John, again, touching on this whole idea of why they brought this woman to Jesus. This they said, testing him that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger. 
as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. So here is this lady, this lady that has been taken in the very act of adultery. And she is now standing face to face with Judge Jesus. And by the way, we're all going to stand before Judge Jesus one day. Jesus would say in John 12, verse 48, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judges him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. One day we're going to stand before the judge of all the earth. So the time to turn to Jesus is before you stand before him as you judge. But she's standing before the very Son of God, the one that had wrought many miracles, the one, the one that spoke the words of eternal life, as Peter said in John chapter 6. So first of all, what does she find? I'll tell you what she finds. Mercy. She finds mercy. Listen to what is said in verse 10. When Jesus had raised himself up, and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Let me just pause there for a minute. What did this lady need? Above all, what did she need at this point in time? Let me tell you what she needed. Mercy. She needed love. She needed forgiveness, didn't she? Think about what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2 at verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy for the great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, has made, him alive together, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved. We all need the mercy of God. We all need the love of God in our lives. We all need forgiveness in our lives. And I want to talk about that in just one second. So I think about the mercy that Jesus showed her, but then the mandate. Listen to what he said. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Today's a special day. You know why it's special? Because you're alive. Because you're alive and well. And because today, you can have a new Lord. This lady had obviously not been living for the Lord, had she? She had not been living according to the law, the law of Moses. Do you know what she needed? She needed a new Lord. There are folks today in this city, in this state, in this country, let me tell you what they need. They need the Lord. Now they may not know it, but they need the Lord. Why do they need the Lord? Because of sin? 
because of the shame associated with sin, because of the sentence that is associated with sin, they need the Lord. You may be here today, you need the Lord. You need him. Now you may not think you need him. It may be the case that prior to today, you didn't know you needed him, but you need him. Why? Because outside of Christ, you're without hope and without God in the world. Now Jesus would say in John chapter 8, except you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. And Jesus said, if you die in your sins, where I am, he said, there you cannot come. And the idea is, if you die in sin, you won't be with the Lord in heaven. Not a popular message, not a politically correct message, but it's the truth. And then there is repentance. Jesus told this lady, go and sin no more. Repentance is an about change. It is a change of mind accompanied by a change of actions. That is, if somebody's living in adultery, they can't keep living in adultery, like this woman. And then there is the opportunity to confess with the mouth what we believe in our heart, that Jesus is the Son of God. I know you believe Jesus is the Son of God or you wouldn't be here. Peter said, speaking to Jesus, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then to be baptized or immersed in water. Well, why do you need to do that? So that all your sins can be washed away. On Pentecost Day, when Peter stood before that multitude of people and they cried out and asked the apostles, what shall we do? Here's what Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission, that is the forgiveness of your sins. So you can have a new Lord. You need a new Lord because if you're not in the kingdom of God, if you're not following the Lord Jesus Christ, let me tell you, the devil's your Lord. Whether you realize it or not, He's your father. He's the one that's ruling and reigning in your life. And so what you want to do is make Jesus the king of kings and the Lord of lords in your life, as Paul talked about in 1 Timothy 6.15. And then not only can you have a new Lord, but you can have a new life. Where are you today spiritually? I think about when Paul went to the city of Corinth. The Bible tells us that he spent some 18 months in the city of Corinth. Corinth was known for two things. Number one, idolatry. And number two, immorality. Really and truly, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you would think you were reading about the city of Memphis, the city of Chicago, or Atlanta, or New York, or California, some, some city in California. Because you see, Paul said, but the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he said, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. But then I want you to hear what he says in verse 11, chapter 6. And such were some of you. Would you like to start over? Would you like the opportunity to just... Know that 
Your slate has been wiped clean. That whatever is in the past is now in the past. It's done away. It's over with. You think about those people in Corinth. Did they need a new Lord? Yes, they did. Did they need a new life? Absolutely. So here were people in Corinth. They're living in immorality. They're living in idolatry. And so when Paul writes his second letter to them, here's what he said. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. He said, old things are what? Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If you're outside of Christ, you can have a new Lord and a new life. This lady, what'd she need? She needed a new Lord and a new life. She needed Jesus. We all need Jesus. Why do we need him? Because of sin. What's the remedy for sin? The blood of Christ. Paul said, in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. When we obey the gospel, here's what happens. We appropriate the blessings of God. That is, the benefits of His blood shed in His death. So Jesus died to save us. You remember what He said in Luke 19.10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Do you need a life in Christ today? Would you like to start over? In closing, let me say this. There are a lot of people in our world, and they'll tell you straight up, they have made a mess of their life. There are people in this community, they've been in drugs, they've been knee-deep in alcohol, their lives have been wrecked by prescription drugs. They've tried to find satisfaction in promiscuity, sexual relations outside of marriage. They've tried to find fulfillment and satisfaction, money and materialism, and the things of this life. And they, in their heart of hearts, have hoped in some way that this would Give them a new life. It doesn't work that way. There are a lot of people. They're miserable. And they need Jesus. And Jesus can be the difference maker in your life. He can wipe, he can wipe that slate clean. You can start over today. In John chapter 3, when Nicodemus came to Jesus, Jesus said, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus thought Jesus was talking about a physical birth. He said, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, Except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's called a new birth. And a new birth will afford you a new Lord and a new life. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, do what they did on Pentecost. Repent, be baptized. Let the Lord wash away your sins. Let him add you to the church. If you're here today and you're not faithful to his cause, why not come home? Why not come back to a loving God who will abundantly pardon? I want you to think about this as we close today. We're not going to be here forever. 
some point in time, this life is going to come to a crashing halt. When your life comes to an end, will it come to an end with or without Jesus? My prayer, your life comes to an end with Jesus as we stand and sing.